When we read sick history, तो हमें लगता है कि facts ज्यादा नहीं या फिर fiction ज्यादा है. Because when British came, they burned down a lot of our libraries. We have such a rich history of literature, but over time, because of the fact that we have had so much struggle, a lot of that is missing or even revised. You get the house done a little bit, eh? Up in Singapore, he says that when we look at that history, there's one of two things that the Sikhs did: they sick raj kare, they sick lard mare. And you can look at our house from any angle, really. Nobody disputes that. When you think about Sikharaj the first name that comes to mind is Maharaja Ranjit Singh but Sikharaj doesn't begin nor does it end with Maharaja Ranjit Singh we've had various manifestations or expressions of Sikharaj and you'll see it becomes so glaringly obvious the changes in narrative and actually the importance of raj is then sidelined this is not really in line with the sikh principles of sabat dapala langar or serving those arguments break that link but when you look at our past it is very clear a lot of our past is projected through a particular lens रणवीर जी आप जी का बहुत 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 धनवाद साढ़े प्लेटफॉर्म से मैं बहुत खुश हाँ अज्ञे टॉपिक को लैके बिकॉज असी सिर्फ एक सिख हिस्टरी के टॉपिक को नहीं छेड़ा असी पूरी सिख हिस्टरी जो है उसके उत्ते गल करा बट बिफोर वी मूव इन टू द टॉपिक अपने बारे कुछ दसो तीस खालिज हाउस शुरू किया तो इट्स Before I say what Khalis House is, I would like you to say what is Khalis House and why you started this platform. जी, so जरा Khalis House ऐसी 2000 वी बीच शुरू किता सी. So it was during the pandemic. Uh, we started in June 2020. So it's been three and a half years. The प्रकाशन कर शुरू करने दे पिछे सब तो बढ़ा कारण ऐसी के When we look at books that are being produced about the six, खास करके जी किताबा अंग्रेजी में छपिया जाती है या उन्होंने बिच जरा बिरतांत सिरजा जाता है द द नैरेटिव दैट वी फाइंड इन दोस बुक्स वी फेल दैट इट वॉजन एम्पावरिंग इनफ टू प्रजेंट सिख इतिहास जो साख सिद्धांत है सिख असूल है सो we felt that a lot of the books in punjabi jehdi jehdi kitaba sanu punjabi vich mildi hai khaas karke jehde sade puratan granth ho gaye ja um you know books from that are written in punjabi by people in punjab they're different uh, but the ones in english we felt that there was something missing so we wanted to provide a platform for writers who are uh, passionate uh, about preserving a narrative about the six and punjab that was empowering that was inspiring um especially for this generation especially the generation that lives outside of punjab jede bar and then uk de vich america canada across the diaspora so because we felt there was something missing that's why we then decided to create and establish uh, carlis house um and like i said it's been about 3 and a half years now and it's been a kind of a, organically it's grown Um, so obviously, I've written books. Others have written their books. We've now published sixteen books, and there are more in the pipeline for the coming twelve uh, months as well. Do you feel um, you get to learn a lot more about Sikhi while researching, or were you like connected before even that too? Hindi, no, definitely. I think there's always a there's always an opportunity to learn something new. Um, like I've been engaged in Sikh Atihas, reading, researching, writing for probably maybe fifteen years, 
So I graduated in 2008. Um, I graduated graduated in law. So I didn't even that was something different. But a graduation to Bad, I mean, like the, the Sangat mm-hmm. that I developed, the friends, the circle of friends that I made. Uh, within a couple of years, we established an organization called the National Sikh Youth Federation. So it's uh, based in the UK. The, and, and behind that organization was, again, a similar idea to speak about Sikh political history, speak about it in an empowering uh, way to inspire the youth and inspire the next generation. So that's how I kind of got involved in Sikh history, learning about our Itihas. And the way that kind of developed was each one of us as co-founders, we kind of developed our own field of, um, I don't know, call it expertise or speciality. And I was really intrigued by the Guru period, by, you know, that period that's often overlooked, I think. Um, and that's eventually what led to then writing Baat Mahima, which obviously will come on to shortly. Um, so that's kind of where I started. And do you think we have done justice of preserving um, Sikh Itihas? And when we read Sikh history, uh we feel that facts are more or fiction is more. Because if we talk about British colonization over here in India, when they came to India, they burned down a lot of our libraries. And lot of our history was burnt down. So how much is fact and how much is fiction? Yeah, it's a very important question. And I think I might break it down a little bit. I think what this question really highlights for me is the importance of preserving those historical accounts that are written in Punjabi, that were perhaps written by contemporaries of the Guru. So writings uh, by by Gurdasri, for example, who uh, was a you know a contemporary of the first early Guru Saiban. Um, by Gurdasri's Vada are really well respected. Um, they've been around for 400 years now. And a lot of the Qatar that we hear in Guru in Gurukars around the world is based on the information that we take from Pai Gurdasri the Avada. Uh, Pai Gurdasri was obviously um, quite close to the Guru's house. They were a member of the Guru's family as well. Um, and Sikh tradition holds that they were given the ti- their writings were given the title of the key to the key to understanding Gurbani. Uh, so obviously, as a scholar, they have they hold a certain reverence within the Sikh world. And I think when we focus on on their writings, which are now available in English as well, there's obviously translations available online. There are you know, two volume books available as well. And I think if we look at that tradition, and then also other writers who were contemporaries of the gurus, um, those who, uh, you know, the, the Kavis of the gurus Darbar, uh, for, for example, Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj and Anandpur Sahib Darbar, Jinnavi Kavisan, we look at their writings, we get a very distinct picture of what Sikhi was, of what the Sikh Panth was, of what the guru's mission was. And then again, that tradition continues, but like you, like you said, uh, after the British arrived, Basti Baad, like in, in Punjab, we know that mm-hmm. physically the British changed the landscape. Uh, in addition to the, the change of political power after the fall of Maharaja Ranjit Singh's Raj, they, they target the education centers. So whereas before we know from our Itihas that uh, 
And generally, a lot of people were uh, encouraged to get educated, men, women, different ages, uh, and they were taught a whole variety of different subjects. After the arrival of the British in Punjab, what we see is uh, not just the burning of books and the kind of the restriction to, to accessing that information, but there's this new um, way of learning that arrives as well. This kind of very westernized, um, and even the subjects that are taught, you know, the sciences, mathematics, it's very wordly. There's a lot of emphasis on empiricism, this idea of, of looking at facts, looking at the world, looking at statistics. So, like from like from a Gurbani perspective, the mm-hmm. gyan that's enshrined within Gurbani or the gyan that we find in our Puratan Granths, that's almost sidelined. And then the kind of the, the westernized subjects, uh, those which um, speak about the material world, that which can be uh, proven through science, that's given a prominence. So I think what we need to look at is the way in which knowledge production changed and how much emphasis was placed on these westernized uh, models of learning and, and, and you know, learning about the world. Whereas before, when we read, and when we read our Puratan Granths, and the way in which they describe the Darbar of the Gurus, where learning was taking place, where people were being sent to far off places to learn about uh, specific subjects, and languages was a massive uh, thing as well. So I think the, the question is more about what source do we go to? Because it's difficult also. One of the things that I encountered yeah. in writing Pathra Emema was we have such a rich history of um, literature, but over time, because of the fact that we have had so much struggle as well, a lot of that is missing or a lot of it has been misplaced um, or even revised. So when the British arrive, we see a huge amount of revision that takes place. So... Um, and, and that happens, obviously, post-47 as well. Uh, a lot of our itihas is projected through a particular lens. Uh, one example that comes to mind is the, the Gaddar movement. The Gaddar movement, mm-hmm. uh, ordinarily, for many years, was depicted as a movement for Indian independence or um, that they were, you know, very secular or they were Marxist. Anything was projected, anything and everything, but the Sikhi aspect of what inspired them, that was kind of neglected. And it's only recently through uh, the work of people like Sardar Jameer Singh and others that have come in and have, they've looked at the primary source material and they said, hang on a second, these were Sikhs. They were Nit, Nemi, Rehetwan. You know, if you look at their pictures, they were in Gatre. And if you look at their writings, what they say is our inspiration for standing against the British came from Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj came from Sikhi, came from that spirit of standing against oppression. So I think we we find um, that our history has been revised at various moments in our Dehas, and which is why I think it's important to look at the the pre-colonial Sikh literature, you know, the Pant Prakash, the Mehma Prakash, Pai Gurdashi Diyavara, and they are now readily available. Like I've said, there's translations; they're all online as well. So I think what it requires is a bit of effort from us, right. uh, you know, to, to genuinely learn about our Dehas. Now we're coming to Padshahi Mehima. Uh, it's a book written, like you said, 500 years of Sikh history. So our history is so uh, rich and so old that you literally combined in a one book. 
um, and we're just gonna talk about that um, starting from I would say Pai Kabir Ji because Pai Kabir Ji has a lot of knowledge in Guru Granth Sahib which we use the word in Guru Granth Sahib so Kabir Singh Ji at the time what happened and why in our Sikh Itihas so if I can go back to what I said in the beginning Birtant uh, meaning narrative a lot of the books that were written about the Sikhs uh, came from a very specific angle. I certainly felt this. Um, mm-hmm. And what they depicted was Sikhism, the religion, that these are, that these are this is what Sikhism is, and they, and they kind of compartmentalized us into a particular worldview, that this is what they do, this, this is their Panj Kakar, they have 10, 10 gurus, they bow to Guru Granth Sahib Ji. None of it was necessarily incorrect, but what I found was, in comparison to how the six were depicted by contemporaries of the gurus, there was something missing. And for me, that missing link was the, the, uh, the political aspect of the Sikh movement. So a lot of times what we found, especially in our recent Itihas, is that historians try to break that connection. Um, so there's a very famous, some of your, some of your uh, viewers and listeners might be aware of the work of Hugh McLeod. He was a professor of six studies uh, back in the 70s, based primarily in New Zealand. And he was the first type of kind of professor or historian who basically said that the first five Guru Saiban, so Guru Nanak Dev Ji Maharaj, Guru Arjun Dev Ji Tak, their ideology was uh, separate. And he would have classified Bhagat Kabir Ji within that as well, that they were trying to um, portray something. But then the second set of, of five Guru Saiban, their ideology changed because of uh, Guru Hargobind Sahib uh, creating the Akal Takht. And obviously the, the kind of the military aspect uh, came about, which leads to the uh, rise of the Khalsa by Guru Gobind Singh Ji. So there's small things we see within the narratives that are uh, woven about our history. But again, when you go back to the the Puratan sources, those written, you know, prior to the British arriving, prior to the outside gaze, I guess, there's no distinction, you know, this idea of midi-bidi within the Sikh world. We find that not only within what the what the Gurus and the Sikhs were doing, but also the way in which Sikhi was being depicted, again, by Gurudashi Diyavara, uh, even Bansavli Nama, there's so many different re- uh, resources that I could point towards. Um, and obviously they're, they're listed within the, the book as well. So firstly, it was to kind of, for me, revisit our history, but again, try to give it a more uh, wholesome account, which takes, which, which considers both the spiritual aspect as well as the political and, and doesn't really differentiate between the two, that this is more important. Now, obviously, anything that the Sikh do in terms of politically, so if you look at Maharaja Ranjit Singh Zaraj or the Misal Sardars before him or Bandha Singh Bahadur, Everything that they're doing to better society is based off the, the gyan of the guru, right? It's, it's, it's based off the inspiration they take from what the gurus have done. Um, but there was this kind of uh, tendency to, to, to break that, um, that this all came afterwards. But when we look at the guru's writings, like even, for example, uh, Guru Nanak Dev Ji Maharaj, they speak about, um, they say, takt behe, takt ki like. Um, they're very outspoken about those who should be sitting on thrones, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they say that those who sit on thrones ought to be of a particular character. 
Um, they, they, you know, they we know how outspoken they were against Babur for his invasion. That's recorded in Gurbani as well. Um, we know how all the group all the Guru Saiban were outspoken. But actually, what we sometimes miss is, and I think this is primarily because of the work of the non-Sikhs who have failed to understand what Sikhi was because they've neglected these Baratan sources, is that there was no difference in the ideology of the Gurus from Guru Nanak Dev Ji Maharaj all the way to Guru Gobind Singh Ji. What, what we see is a development of the ideas. Okay, so over here, I will revert back to what you said earlier ki first five gurus the ideologies were different mm-hmm. than you know the, the, than the um, other five um the last five gurus i would say yeah. right so what was their ideology what was like first five gurus ideology and what was you know the rest of the gurus ideology was what was the difference so what they say what what a lot of these kind of um uh, academics say is that Guru Nanak Dev Ji Maharaj was a pacifist um, or he was more about promoting peace uh, and kind of almost almost kind of bordering the side of non-violence, uh, which is more kind of associated with Buddhism, you could say, right? Um, and then then it changes like, after the Shahidi of Guru Arjan Dev Ji uh, with what Guru Hargobind Sahib Pasha does. But again, what we see before that is, you know, Guru, when we look at our historical sources, Guru Arjan Dev Ji Maharaj was... Uh, in foreign lands trading for war horses prior to their shahidi um and, and the thing is these kind of um accusations that they make you know we talked earlier about uh, how history has been revised when we look at the mughal accounts for example of uh, bahadur shah even before bahadur shah like even during jahangir's time the way in which they depict the six even before like the armed uh struggle of you know of the akal takht that comes up with guru hargobind sahibacha they're very they use very derogatory language against the gurus because the, what the gurus were doing was they they were changing society right so even if you look at the audacities of guru nanak dev ji let's just go back to guru nanak dev ji maharaj why did guru nanak dev ji start the audacities jeni je udasya di reet guru sahib ne shuru kiti si why did they why did they do that what was the need to go out into the world and do what they did and actually it comes up in gurbani gurnadev ji themselves they say ke they say gurmukh khoj at pay udasi that they went in search of the gurmukhs this comes up in gurbani hai na so we know from our ihtihas they go they travel in all four directions over about a 22 year period they go as far as uh, middle east you know to the middle east they come back but then what they do is when they return to punjab one of the very first things that gurnadev ji does is they establish kartarpur sahib Kartarpur Sahib becomes this kind of hub, uh, uh, the center of activity, from where then the, the the Sikh revolution then then takes form, and it's within Kartarpur Sahib we have this idea of Sangat first comes up, uh, where where people from all different walks of life they come to uh, seek guidance from the Guru. They they obviously they obtain knowledge, they take Gyan away. But what we're also seeing then is that that model is then developed by other Guru Sahiban. So when Guru Angad Dev Ji Maharaj comes in, they are then sent by Guru Nanak Dev Ji to go to Kadur Sahib and establish another town. Another town is then built. Guru Amar Das Ji goes to Govindwal Sahib. Another town is established. Guru Amar Das Ji then also, you know, takes it to the next step by sending out. They established the the Manji system, um, and you may know this, but the Manji system was a system uh, of basically representatives of the Guru's Darbar that would go out 
to do prachar and sikhi. So they would travel far and wide. So there was twofold. One was to spread sikhi I mean, through through prachar. And secondly, they collected the svand to, to bring it back into the Guru's Darbar to grow the band. And again, that system then became the Masan system under Guru Ram Das Ji Maharaj. They then themselves obviously established Amritsar Sahib, Tarantaran Sahib, Kiratpur. And eventually, you know, we see it go all the way to Anandpur Sahib. So there's this unbroken kind of link between Guru Nanak Dev Ji Maharaj and the establishment of the Guru's Darbar. Because Sikhi, Sikhi I don't believe Sikhi could have grown with the speed and the way in which it did without having that base. You, you, can, think, you can think of other examples where you need to have that base, right? And then mm. the examples of Sikh Raj that come afterwards were modeled on that idea. Um, so that's what I meant by saying that these accusations that were thrown out there, that there was a difference in the ideology, that, that's, a, that's a relatively new, uh, you could say, colonial invention. When we look at our, you know, Puratan Etihas, uh, that which was recorded by contemporaries of the gurus, there's this unbroken chain, and the ideology, you know, remains the same from the from Pele Patsha to to Dasve Patsha. So the idea we take away from this is that different um, areas were colonized within Punjab to spread the knowledge of gurus, uh, what they have learned, and without these bases, um, we wouldn't be able to spread um, the knowledge of Sikhi, of what our gurus learned, and that's how they, you know, pushed back and then uh, spread out uh, the knowledge. I think um, I think colonized is probably not the right word to use because colonized means a very uh, specific type of um, political regime, right? So there was never any, it was never okay. forced upon, you know, the gurus never went to a piece of land uh, and subjugated okay. those peoples you know, burnt their libraries and, and completely introduced a new system. Uh, you know, Guru, Guru Sahib, they, they bought the land. So even like, for example, Nanpur Sahib was originally purchased by Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib um, and it was originally called Chaknaniki. So they always purchased the land from whoever owned the land at the time and then the, it was organically grown. And it was really a safe space for the Sikhs to exist as Sikhs. And it wasn't exclusively for the Sikhs. You know, we have this idea of Sarbat Dapala, Sanji Valta, these ideas that come out of Gurbani. Um, okay. and the gurus, they weren't just speaking about these ideas. They were bringing those into, into the world, actualizing them. And then we see, obviously, that where even the Anandpur Sahib, the, the siege on Anandpur Sahib, there's so many, you know, such a, that in itself is such a rich history. We could have an entire podcast episode about that. But one of the primary reasons for why uh, Aurangzeb and the Hindu Hilrajas, why they invade is because they felt threatened by the way in which the Guru's Darbar was growing and the influence that the Guru was was obviously establishing at the time. So, um, mm. so obviously, you know, the Vishwara of Anandpur Sahib happens and eventually we see then, you know, Bandar Singh Bahadur established the first Khalsa Raj. So, in fact, you know, when we look at our Tehas between 1708 to around about 1849, which is after the passing of Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj and mm-hmm. the fall of Maharaja Ranjit Singh Raj, and, you know, when, when the British arrived, that 140-year period he says that when we look at that history, there's one of two things that the Sikhs did. That either the Sikhs established Raj or they they died fighting in the pursuit of Raj. And you can look at our house mm. from any angle, really. That period, nobody disputes that. So the initial 150 years, 140, 150 years, the Sikhs, it, it was the primary focus that we have to establish some area of um, 
control or influence where we can be who we are without the threat of conversion or oppression or tyranny from, from other surrounding areas. So that's why I say it's not the same as colonization because they weren't going out and actively, you know, uh, enforcing themselves on another people, another land. Um, but at the same time, the idea of Raj was was instrumental. It was an integral part um, of the Sikh movement. And then after the British arrive, we see then how that slowly changes. Uh, well, not slowly, quite actually, but quite quickly when they initially are slaughtering the Sikhs. And then, like you said, burning books, changing the education system, changing the whole societal outlook, um, and then we see, obviously, the emergence of the, 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 the India project and what that becomes eventually. But the point being before that is the Sikhs understood the duty they had to have that an area. Let's just call it an area, which is why the book is called Sikh Sovereignty. That was integral for Sikhi to grow. Um, and that model was taken from what the Gurus had established with these various uh, towns, Nagars, as we know them in Punjabi, uh, which obviously still exist today. But today they've become just these kind of historical sites, right? heritage sites or Gurdwara sites are built there. But in their heyday, they would have been fully functioning towns, um, you know, with, the, with, an, with their own economy. Um, you know, we know, for example, like Guru Arjan Dev Ji Maharaj they, or Guru Ram Das even, they invited 52 different uh, tradespeople to Amritsar Sahib to grow, to grow Amritsar, to grow the actual city, to make it flourish. So the, the thinking of the Gurus was, was to, th- there was never this idea of shying away from worldly affairs it was always mm. if, you are, if you're going to be involved in the world in this kind of temporal space in this political space it had to be done with a particular style of governance and that governance we find from you know six Adan, from the way in which um we're taught what the world is through gurbani um through Sarvatapala, never to oppress somebody else never to impose yourself upon you know, other peoples um so yeah that's that's obviously what then takes place and then we see like i said a change and and that change, I think we're still reeling from the effects of that colonial encounter. Because, you know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to write the book, actually, was to understand what happened in 1984, to really understand what led to the invasion of the Barsaib. And it's funny now, because I, I, I started in 84, and then I went back to 1978, uh, and then slowly 1947. And then I was like, okay, well, how did we get to 1947? Then I went back to 1849, and holy, holy, as I read more... I, ended, I had to go back to the beginning because for me, I had to revisit the, the whole you know, process. And actually, that, that's why there's over, I think there's over 500 citations in the book, various different scholars, um, Persian sources, uh, British sources, our own writers. Um, and for me, it was, a, it was the closest I could get myself to, to create a comprehensive account. Um, but the focus was specifically uh, on understanding Sikhi as both the political and the spiritual, not Sikhism, which is what comes later through the British. There's just this, you know, religion. Um, so that was mm. a key focus of it all. So correct me if I'm wrong. So we've discussed so far about how Sikhi started from Guru, Guru Nanak Dev Ji's time. Hanji. And we um, sort of talked about how, um, you know, our gurus... Uh, established different points and areas to kind of spread the knowledge about um, Sikhi, correct? And from Banda Singh Bahadur, uh, as we touched a little bit, we talked about he sort of um, 
kind of started the Sikh empire, mm-hmm. right? So now we're slowly moving towards the political side of Sikhi. So can you tell us about how the Sikh empire was established, starting from Banda Singh Bahadur, um, and how it slowly, slowly took turns uh, to 1984? Yeah, of course. When you say taking turns, so what I take from that is that we recognize that Sikh Raj, Sikh sovereignty, Khalsa Raj, is taken many forms in our house. So there's various ways in which the yeah. Sikhs have expressed that Raj. The source of inspiration, like Padshahi Dawa, the claims to sovereignty, I think it's important to draw a distinction between what Padshahi is and what sovereignty is, because I think there are two different um, concepts in that, and I'll, and I'll explain that. So Baath Shahi, in fact, Mahan, in Mahan Kosh, which obviously is a Sikh encyclopedia written by, by Gan Singh Naba in the 1920s, um, really well referenced, you know, really well respected. He provides a definition of Baath Shahi. Um, he says, he actually provides three interpretations of Baath Shahi. The first is he says that Baath Shahi is just another word for Baath Shahi. So, so we understand what a Badshah is, somebody who sits on a throne, you know, somebody who occupies a seat of authority, a king, a ruler. That, and then, the, and then the, um, the second definition is interesting. So don't forget, he's writing in the 1920s. So this is, you know, during the colonial encounter. Um, but it's interesting because it shows how, how attached he was to that Etihas that came before the British. He says that Badshahi... Um, he says, what it means is Satguru di Amaldari. That's the phrase he uses. Now, Satguru obviously is the Guru. Amaldari means governance. So, Pai Khan Singh Nabba, who's writing in the 1920s, understood the significance of Baath Shahi as the Guru's governance. So, now obviously, you know, often when you think about Sikharaj, the first name that comes to mind is Maharaja Ranjit Singh. Um, but Sikh Raj doesn't begin, nor does it end, with Maharaja Ranjit Singh. We've had various manifestations or expressions of Sikh Raj, which actually go back to Kartarpur Sahib. This is what the book mm-hmm. sh- tries to show, that Kartarpur Sahib was the very first manifestation of Sikh Raj, of a type of Sikh Raj, because at the centre of that was the Guru's Darbar. The Guru's Darbar was where the Guru's authority, if you like, if you want to call it that, the, the, the truth of the Guru, um, the wisdom of the Guru, the Guru's Gyan was espoused. And obviously, initially, the, you know, because it was in its infancy, it was growing. Uh, there was no real kind of confrontation with the, the state or the Mughal regime at the time, uh, although there were interactions with, with Akbar and so on and so forth. Uh, it's only when it started to grow and expand. So by Guru Arjan Devji's time, there's one account which says that the amount of the Guru's, uh, the Masan system that I spoke about earlier, it had grown so expansive that there was the Guru's Masans, the representatives of the Guru's Darbar, they were stationed from modern-day Kabul in Afghanistan all the way to uh, uh, Dhaka in Bangladesh. So that's a 2,000 wow. uh, range. And the Guru's six were established. That network was there. Now, now, obviously, we can't claim that that was, you know, six sovereignty or that land was a six. That's not the claim we make. But what it shows is how expansive the Guru's Darbar had become, that they were going so far to teach about Sikhi and also collect that dasavand and bring it back to, to Amritsar Sahib. Uh, and it was very strategic because it was placed along the the old, uh, what we now know as GT Road, which was the, the, mm-hmm. uh, the main kind of uh, road for commercial use and trade at the time. Um, 
So it was very purposeful, very strategic. Um, so so when so when Pai Abba uses that phrase Satgurdi Amaldari, he's referring to the governance or the style of governance that was established through the very first expression of Sikhrat, which was the Guru's Darbar. And that was uh, Kartarpur Sahib, Kadur Sahib, Amritsar Sahib, all the way up to Anantar Sahib. And then, like I said, we had uh, Bandha Singh Bahadur between 1710 and 1716, which is obviously when the Shahidi takes place. And that is pretty much known as the first Khalsa Raj post-Guru period. And then there's a period of... Uh, real hardship, I would say, and struggle, where the Sikhs are being hunted, the Mughals have come down strong, there's a there's a price, you know, placed on the on the head of every Sikh. Um, this is a time where uh, Mata Saib Deva, uh, they become kind of de facto leaders of the Panth in Delhi. Uh, this is a time where Baba Deep Singh is obviously kind of given the duty of maintaining um, the Sikhi Prachar aspect of things from Damdaba Saib. Um, and then, in, seven, in the late 1720s, we see a re-emergence of the Sikhs striving to establish some type of Raj. Um, but when that Raj eventually comes in the form of the uh, Missal Sardars, it's not the same as it was under Bandar Singh Bahadur. But, but, the, but the emphasis is on the actual Raj, that we, that we need to have our, an area or a certain kind of expression of our power. And again, it's, not, it's, it's never really for personal... Or family gains is more so to to bring about the ideals of of Halimi Raj and Begumpura Sarvatapala, like I've mentioned. So then we see the rise of the uh, the Dal Khalsa, uh, which then become the Missal Sardars. So Missal Sardars, the confederacy of the Missal Sardars, which is then the third uh, expression of Sikhraj. So we had the Guru the Guru Zarbar, Singh Bahadur Khalsa Raj. The Missile Confederacy, which is around about 1765 to 1799. And then Maharaj Ranjit Singh's Raj comes from 1799. Obviously, he passes in 1839. There's a 10-year struggle for power. The British arrive, and then Punjab is annexed in 1849. So between 1849, now that, that Ittihas, uh, up until 1849, uh, it's not really disputed no one really has an issue with that. That, uh, that you know, this is this is how important uh, Raj was to the Sikhs. It's mm-hmm. after 1849 where we see different narratives than we've woven into our Tehas. Um, but when we look at again our history from that period, you know the um, the Kuka movement, uh, early Kuka movement, the uh, the Singh Sabha movement as well to an extent, the Gadri Babbe, the the Babarka Lilahar. And then it obviously eight, uh, 1947 happens uh, and there's this, there's this kind of sense that there's some degree of independence. But what's actually happened is Punjab has been split down the middle, as you'll know. I know some of your guests previously have spoken about this, the Radcliffe line. But uh, obviously modern day Pakistan is created. The remaining half on this side, within about 20 to 30 years, two new states are carved out of that Punjab, Haryana and Himachal. So Punjab is now mm-hmm. a fraction of what it once was. And then mm-hmm. we see the kind of the again organic development towards another kind of movement for Sikh Raj, and at the, and in the present day, the Sikhs in 1986 called it Khalistan. So Khalistan is, from my, from my understanding, is an expression of that Sikh sovereignty of Sikh Raj. Um, now it won't necessarily be exactly the same model that we had under the empire because. Um, we no longer live in a world of empires. Uh, empires have been long, long extinct. 
uh, even the Republic mm-hmm. of Anasang Bahad, that, that was a different model. But the idea that propels it, the inspiration behind Khalistan comes from centuries of Sikh struggle and Sikh Sangaj. Um, you know, like this is why like, uh, there's a, a saying in, in the Sikh world of um, uh, sorry, um, that without without um, sorry, let me start that again. The saying says, uh, So this idea of taram and raj again, medium and pedi, like it's it's there in all of our Pratan grants. Uh, and again, going back to the first point I made about you know reading and having those accessible. When we read those those accounts, and then you can always do a com- comparative analysis with, with the works that have been written afterwards and you'll see it becomes so glaringly obvious the changes in narrative and and actually the importance of Raj is then sidelined that you know this is not really in line with this the Sikh principles of Sabatapala or you know Langar or, or serving or Seva generally you know how can it be how can violence be but actually that it's a lot more nuanced than that and those arguments are designed to I think anyway break that link. Uh, but when you look at our okay. class, it's, it's very it's very clear it's there, it's there from the offset. So I think I will revert back um, to the period of establishing Sikh Empire, right? And when we talk about Sikh Empire, you know, we talked about, we talk about Pantha Singh Bahadur, Maharaja Ranjit Singh, uh, and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. Uh, why is it that we don't talk about women who have also contributed to the creation of Sikh empire. Like why there are like less women who, who, who did that while the establishment of Sikh, Sikhi from Guru Nanak Dev Ji's perspective was that, you know, men and women, they both are treated equally. Yeah. Am I saying something wrong in here? Or it, is... no, it's, it's a, I think it's a really valid question. And actually, it's one of the reasons why, when, when I read the, the house of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, and I read about uh, Rani Sadakor, for example, I was blown away by her jivani and her the house. Like, it, like, and her name is very rarely mentioned, even within, you know, Sikh circles, even within those who perhaps claim to understand or, or know Sikh history. But Rani Sadakor was one individual who was instrumental in, in his rise. And also she then led Sikhs into battle under his Raj. Um, she, you know, when we talk about Sikh Raj expanding under the empire, the Sikh empire of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, between 1799 and I think she passes eventually in the late 1820s. But that 20-year period, she was at the forefront alongside Akalifula Singh uh, and others, Hari Singh Nalwa was then coming up as well. Um, but she was instrumental in leading them. And she was one of the most ferocious warriors uh, on the battlefield. But not only was she ferocious on the battlefield, but she was, um, you know, uh, in terms of strategy uh, and how she would guide Maharaja Ranjit Singh. Again, these are all, all accounts in our Tehas. So when I read her Tehas, and that was in Punjabi uh, by Gyanu Son Singh Sital. He wrote a novel about her in the 1950s. I was genuinely compelled to you know, to retell her story in English to a generation that perhaps hasn't even heard of her name. And that's where obviously mm-hmm. the novel Rani Sadako, Warrior Queen was, you know, that's how that was born. Um, 
but she was right from the offset. And and this is what was remarkable remarkable about Rani Sadakor was if you if you know the missiles at one point there was a lot of kind of um, conflict between the missiles towards the end of their uh, before Maharaja Ranjit Singh arrives. So she was obviously the head of the Kanaya missile. And the Kanaya missile historically had clashed uh, with very with, with various missiles, missiles including uh, the Sukhothaya missile, which was um, Maharaja Ranjit Singh's uh, missile, uh, his grandfather and his father's. Um, so for her to kind of overlook those differences, um, and her her husband had had obviously uh, had become shaheed in one of the battles between the missiles that they were fighting, she overlooked all of that. Uh, so you know this idea we hear. Uh, uh, you know, it's often mm. said today. Um, that we find that uh, at various moments in our etihas, whenever we look closely. So I think she was an individual who, who embodied that because she took Maharaja Ranjit Singh at a young age un- under her wing. Um, she marries her daughter to him as well, obviously, but she guides him. She literally, when they take over Lahore in 1799, she's riding alongside him. And that's the picture at the front of the novel, uh, Into Lahore. So she's there right from the offset. And it's not just uh, Rani Sadakor, but there are others, uh, you know, the most popular, the most kind of famous one that comes to mind is Mai Pago. Um, but I think to answer your question as to why uh, their, their actions are overlooked in our history, right. is I think a lot of, we have to remember like a lot of the Etihas was written by, predominantly by men, predominantly by, by men, most times by those who had a certain degree of, of, of power and, and influence. And I think, and we find this in uh, Pant Prakash as well. So Pant Prakash by Ratan Singh Pangu is a hugely influential text. It's a go, the go-to really for that period of Sikhatihas in terms of a lot of the, a lot of what we know about the Khalsa between in that 18th century comes from Pant Prakash. But in Pant Prakash, you see, uh, and some of your some of your listeners may have to forgive me for this if I offend them, but there is some bias we find because he was of the Pangi missile. And he doesn't really talk about Maharaja Ranjit Singh a lot. Um, I think he doesn't even mention Rani Sadakor. Um, so there, there, there's a lot of, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of bias that we find within the writings, even within our own writings. And you, that's something, I think that's just human nature that, you know, people will, mm. necess, you know, like people could say my work is biased because of my understanding or reading on a particular thing. And I'll hold my hands up to it. Um, but I think it's difficult to answer why it's been left out because when you look at our history whether it's oral tradition that's been preserved through Qatha, you know Tardiwara uh, or even the written accounts you'll find reference to these extraordinary uh, Bibiya these women in our Tehas even even going all the way to Bibi Nanaki um, you know who, who is obviously I was just thinking about that Angie. I was just thinking about yeah and obviously Sikh tradition holds that they were the first to recognize who the Guru was so they were essentially the first ever Sikh that we ever had, right? So, and, and this is where I think the work of Carlis House, you know, if I can speak on that, is we're, we're trying to um, encourage more works to be written through that lens, a lens which empowers in the actions of both men and men and women in our house because, it's, like I said, it's there right from the offset. And and, and like right. you said, right in Gurbani, there's no distinction. There isn't this idea of like the the woman is lower than the man. There's equal importance placed. Equality between male and female is is you know um, one of the foundations of Gurbani, I guess you could say. So for me, I think it's what you can do. So you know, if you have a channel, if you have a platform, if if you're a writer, if you're a musician, an artist, anything you can do to raise their voices um, 
because and obviously that would require for us to read it the house or, or you know read our history listen to Qatar um, and this is the this is the kind of the, the the beauty of it because I think sometimes we we place a lot of emphasis on books but when you go to the Gurdwara and the in the Qatar magic is talking the way they weave you know that rich tapestry of, of our Tehas, you find nuggets of like wisdom and, and then it's about piecing it all together. But it's there, you know, it's, 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 it's all there. And I think it's on us, I think this generation, particularly with social media, with platforms like, like this on the podcasts, um, like with the publishing we're trying to do is we, you know, it's our responsibility to do that because our children will ask us, our grandchildren will ask us, you know, what, what, what do you do to try and preserve and further their stories? So, just to conclude on this um, topic, why you think our Sikh community faced a lot of struggles starting from the beginning, even though we are known as the fifth largest religion in the world? And how do you perceive our history from your lens? Again, a really good question. I think the, the in terms of the struggle, why, why have we always struggled or faced opposition a lot of times, really violent opposition. You know, we've had uh, three genocides in our Tehas, uh, two Kalukare in the 18th century, one in the 1980s, uh, ongoing in many ways. And I think a, a lot of it comes back down to when we look at um, the history of the Gurus and what the Gurus did. And this is why it's really important to read Gurbani sometimes within the context within which it was written. So like I mentioned earlier, like Guru Nanak Dev Ji Maharaj, when they stand up against Babur for the for his invasion and the way they 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 call them out even on their audaces wherever the guru goes whoever he kind of speaks with and interacts with he, he's very um critical of those who govern a certain style and uh, those who are oppressive within their policies within their regimes and they, they never hold back from that from that criticism um and it's not something that the gurus just speak about. It's not something we just find written in Gurbani. We see it then embodied by the gurus. So, you know, we know, for example, that Guru Arjan Dev Ji Maharaj, Guru Teg Bahadur Ji, um, they were they, they, they're shaheeds in our Tehas. We know there was also attempted assassinations on Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj, Guru Hargobind Sahib Padshah. So this like, idea of struggle and, and confrontation with the political powers that be has been there from the offset. And I, and I think the, the main reason, if I, if I could give one reason, is because Sikhi brings a, a whole new paradigm. It's, it's a radical new way to view the world. And I think that okay. radical new world is what challenged the existing systems that had been engineered, whether that whether that be um, through religion, like, for example, when Guru has interactions with um, the Maulvis or the Qazis or the Mullahs or the Pandits, um, or whether that's engineered through a political setup, like, for example, the Mughal regime, or even the, the Hindu hill rajas. So actually, you know, when we talk about Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj and their Tehas, a lot of the time mm-hmm. we're told about how many battles the Guru waged and the Khalsa waged with the Mughals. And the Mughals were so oppressive. And, and yes, they were. But in our in our Tehas, in uh, a Puratan Granth called Siri Guru Soba, which was written by Senapati, Kavi Senapati, who was one of the 52 poets of the Guru's Darbar, in his account, he, he t- speaks about these battles with the Mughals. And when you analyze... Uh, the accounts, what we find is that Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj actually went into battle, I think it's 11 times with the Hindu Hill Rajas and five or six times with the Mughal uh, battalions. So actually, it was never about 
what religion the individual you know belonged to it was never about that they were muslim or hindu or, or christian or whatever it might have been it was always against those who had taken these seats of power and these authority you know these seats of authority and actually were were um bringing about oppression and tyranny through their, their, their policies and, and their governance. That's what the Sikh has always stood against. And when we look at the way in which the Sikh stood and defied the British occupation of Punjab, uh, you know, the, the statistics are well known that, com- that relative to our population, in terms of how many Sikh stood and sacrificed and were hung by the British, and also those who spent time in jail, was disproportionate to the rest of the population. And it's something I think that's just, it's almost as if it's within our DNA, when I say right. Ardina, I mean those who are who have obviously um, connected to Gurbani, those who are living as Gurmukhs, those, and this is where it becomes difficult because there, then there's this kind of religious aspect. Um, mm-hmm. I do talk about in the book a little bit about how the, the kind of the, the, the Western secular philosophy categorizes them as religious fundamentals, but for us, you know, the likes of Baba Deep Singh, they're our heroes, you know. The, the, we look up to the actions of the gurus and the, and, and the gurmukhs, those who embodied that idea of standing against oppression. So wherever we look at our tihas, they've always stood against that because um, because it's not just about standing against oppression either. It's also about furthering the sword. So if Sikhi is this you know radical new worldview, um, it's established by the gurus. It's kind of solidified by the gurus darbar. Um, you know the the attacks start then. The attacks start from the Mughals and the others who were around at that point. And then we just see that it's just a continuation of that uh, with the British, with the Afghan, uh, with the Afghan invaders, um, even with the, the Indian regime as well, post-47, irrespective of which political party has taken office, uh, we see that there's been a confrontation between the six. Actually, there's been a confrontation between the Khalsa and those in power. That's 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 kind of just the way it's established. And I think at the, at the heart of that is that Sikhi is completely different uh, and and it will not stand for the subjugation of other peoples mm-hmm. or it will not stand for the subjugation of its own peoples as well. 